Your vision, said Carl Jung, will become clear only when you can look into your own heart. Who looks outside? Dreams. Who looks inside? Awakes. Oh, Am Yisrael, wake up. Let's look into our hearts and find there the vision that can really take us toward the future we need. I'm Rav Mike Foyer, and this is the Jewish Heroism Project. An interview on heroism with Rav Yehuda Hakon. Okay, I'm sitting here with my good friend, Rav Yehuda Hakon, educator at the Mahon Meir Institute and head of education at the Vision Movement. And I think an extraordinary thinker who has what to add to the question of Jewish heroism. Yehuda, it's good to see you. Likewise. I feel like on one hand... No time has passed since the outbreak of war and the last time we sat. On the other hand, I feel like a whole life has gone by. The world has changed, and it's changing. Yes, rapidly. Mm-hmm. You know, I have this sense that, um, I guess, love deal, but not really, that um, when you see an explosion underwater, there's the immediate impact, but then things have to settle again. And that can take a long time before you see what's solid and what's not. And I feel very much that the world in which we live is that way. It looks like it has a form mm-hmm. that it's rapidly retaken, but I'm not so confident that what we see will last or that we've seen at all what's going to be when things settle. Right. I, I think a big question, and I hope I'm not getting too far ahead of our conversation. Don't but, preempt me. <laughs> I think the big question regarding Israeli society yeah. is whether or not we've been knocked back to the Israel of the 1950s and 60s in terms of mentality, mm-hmm. or if we've advanced Kicked to the stage. forward. Oh, that, you know what? Hold that thought, okay. because I want to actually end with, with that. I think it's a very important and, and well, well-phrased question. But before we get too far into the future, I want to talk about me, <laughs> at least in terms of the project I have going. The, the Jewish Heroism Project is underway. Uh, I'm finding a tremendous wealth of Torah in the exploration of what I call the the, the Torah's heroic face, 26 paths of Jewish heroism, qualities, models, archetypes, keystone stories, etc. But beyond my own head and beyond the work I can do in Torah, I've found that speaking to people about what they see, how they understand heroism is a very useful uh, approach to fleshing out this seemingly obvious, but I see to be somewhat elusive concept. So first things first, simple question. In your eyes, what's heroism? That's a great question. Um, I would say that heroism is really the act of going beyond oneself, Mm. um, doing something that one considers difficult, inconvenient, um, maybe in certain situations seemingly impossible, Mm. uh, because it's the right thing to do. Because it's the right thing to do. Now, could that be anything? Meaning I might find it difficult to help an old lady across the street with Mm -hmm. her heavy bags because I'm on my way somewhere. If I stop and push myself, is that a heroic act? I think so. Yeah. So it's not a question of scale. No. I mean, obviously, the the larger the scale, the grander the heroism. But I I think that going out of one's way, kind of self-correcting, there's Mm -hmm. an internal self-correction that takes place. Like even if I'm walking through... Mamila Mall, mm-hmm. and someone uh, comes over to ask me for a shekel, and I'm on the phone, I'm headed somewhere, sure. I ignore them, I walk past them. The act of stopping, realizing what's going on, walking back a few steps to the person and handing them a couple shekels is that internal self-correction that I think 
is, you know, you're, you're overcoming what you're, you're going out of one's way, overcoming one's own weaknesses. Obviously there's, there is scale. There are yeah, levels to this. Sure. I, I don't think it's just like every act of heroism is the same. Uh, just like I don't think every act of martyrdom is the same, meaning there's a difference between someone who's killed for being a Jew and someone who puts on a uniform, picks up a gun and goes to fight for the Jewish people and falls in battle. Well, we're going to come to that question of scale in a moment, but now I actually want to hone in on, you, you clarified, because the first thing you said was sort of going, going beyond, but, but then you added, I think, a crucial element of self-correction, mm -hmm. because what I hear in the gap between them is, is an awareness of self, mm -hmm. meaning to go beyond could be in almost any situation, just do, doing more than I'm expected. I mean, give more to uh, Ducca than I would have otherwise, you know, be more available to friends, et cetera. But here there was a barrier that had to be overcome mm -hmm. and it was almost a two-step motion. Right. No, I, I think heroism involves some aspect of internal growth. A breaking through. Yeah. Okay. So that, of course, begs the question of what does it mean to be mm -hmm. a villain? Because mm -hmm. I think that the hero and the villain, just like, light and shadow at least in legend in literature and in the popular consciousness they come together mm -hmm. so what's a villain well i i actually am not sure i would define a villain in relation to heroism as we've described it mm -hmm. because i think the concept of a villain could be extremely subjective depending on what ideological lens or what civilization you're living in wasn't that just as true about a hero um, no, not in the way that we described it, because I think whether we're talking about a, a U.S. Marine or a Hezbollah fighter, um, what we've been saying up till now about heroism holds true. Ah, so you're gonna you're unmooring heroism from a moral standard. Yes, because it's in theory subjective, but we'll get to so wait. Jewish... So wait a minute, hang on. So you, what you're telling me is that if I have an opportunity to kill. 10 innocent people and something in my conscience says to me, Mike, you know, it's not the day. And I head out of the mall with the AR-15 that I happened to buy in mm -hmm. Walmart that morning. And then I say in the parking lot, you know what? Gosh darn it. I'm not going to let my scruples bother me. And I walk back in and unload on the post office. That's an act of heroism? No. I've overcome something? No, no, no. Right. I stopped. No. I came to self-awareness. There was a barrier within me and, and pushed myself through it. No, but if you were to overcome your fears to be able to face off against seemingly superior military power uh, in order to do what you believe to be good, uh, good for the people you're defending, good for the place where you are, good according to the values you were raised with. So of necessity, there is some moral basis for heroism, yeah, sure. and then we get into the whole murky realm of, of moral relativism, relativism, absolutism, and and the subjective nature of truth, which I don't necessarily want to drift into right now. Right, but, but, we just but why be... is that any different than the villain? I mean, listen. Well, okay, uh... so, so no, but the point is that the villain, the villain, somebody could be a, a villain in the other story, yet do something. Like, for example, I or you mm -hmm. can be the villains in the Palestinian story, right, mm -hmm. while doing something um, or maybe even because we've done something that's extremely heroic, according to the Jewish story. Okay, but again, I don't think you're disagreeing with my original assertion, which is that the villain becomes the inverse of the hero. If you're going to tell me that the hero is the one who comes to consciousness and pushes through a barrier to overcome and do more in service of right. some good, mm -hmm. right? the villain is the one who stands in the way of that, who throws up the uh, barrier. No, that, that, who, that I would agree with. because What I thought you were getting at before, if we were saying that the villain is the inverse of the hero, 
is that the villain would be somebody who succumbs to his baser nature or somebody who gives into the Yetzirah in Jewish terms and doesn't self-correct. Meaning if we were describing heroism okay. as some kind of act of internal I think growth, that that's a workable, I think that's a workable definition as well. Okay. You know, that if you're going to tell me that the hero lies in the mm. overcoming for the sake of good, yeah. which by the way, you just gave the exact definition that I've been working with. It's a good in, definition. It is a good definition. I call it Monsieur Nefesh, mm. Ma'antov. Okay. Um, I'll go with the, that. The, no, no, it's not Hatov, mm. which opens up that realm right. of the subjective, mm. objective question that you touch, which we're not going into. Mm. <laughs> um, so, okay. I, I, I like it. Now, I'll repeat the question in a slightly different fashion. We well, call that iteration. Well, you have more to say? Well, kind of, because okay. I, I think that um, this idea of the villain, we can, we, we've set up, I think, three types of villains already in our conversation. There's the villain who is standing in the way of the hero overcoming and becoming what he's supposed to be. There's I didn't a, say standing in the way. I said actively put up the barrier. Okay. Standing in the vi- way could... Vi- villain as barrier. Could, you could, could just be a, you know, it could be a traffic barrier. It could be an innocent civilian. I mean, right. you know. Well, well I, I would say that um, the enemy, from a Jewish perspective, is always that which stands in the way of us fulfilling our mission. Okay, but enemy and villain are two different words in my eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That, that, but, but they're a little related. So, so dangerously so. Right. So, there's one villain that would be close to what I would describe as an enemy, which okay. is the barrier. There's another type of villain who is just subjectively the villain in your story, but the hero in his own story. And then there's the villain who, um, who in theory would, as opposed to the hero who has to grow and become a better version of himself in order to become the hero, a villain who succumbs to his. Uh, negative nature and becomes a, a worse version of himself and well, is therefore the villain. So in the terms that I'm using would be most of Nefesh the Man Ra. Right? A person that really goes beyond their limited sense of self for well, the sake well, of evil. Well, he's not going beyond. The, the villain oh, in that no, case is not going beyond. Uh, no, he's actually succumbing to it. No, I think that that is its own. Submission and, and succumbing yeah. is, is a loss of self mm-hmm. into something larger. Um, and the descent into that darkness that you're mm. referring to that we call the Yetzahara, the evil inclination, mm. is its own transcendence of self. You know, one can transcend downwards, mm-hmm. outwards, if you've ever been at a football game and done the wave mm-hmm. or at a concert and been part of a dance floor that really moves together. That mm-hmm. sideways transcendence is most commonly experienced by mm-hmm. people. Then there's the transcendence, what we might say upwards, right, toward... Toward well, that's my next question. Well, I like upwards. Okay, well, upwards that's my why my next question is what it is, which is a to iterate the question. Mm-hmm. We'll replug the answer into a slightly different version of the question and say, what's Jewish mm-hmm. heroism? Is there such a thing? Oh, sure. Uh, I think that it's when that um, what we've been until now, I think, trying to describe as a uh, subjective, you know, regardless of what society you're in, there's an internal overcoming for the sake of good, uh, not hatov, but tov, um, it's when that's directed towards the goals of the children of Israel in history. Like, meaning that Israel As has defined by? Our Torah. That's a very broad definition. <laughs> well, I think there, there is a clear definition. I think our, our Torah does give us a very clear historical mission. Um, and when I say our Torah, I'm not, I'm not limiting myself to the Torah Shebechtav. I didn't assume so. Yeah, uh, but, The written Torah for those yeah, who aren't on the inside baseball. I, 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 think that, I, I think that part of the problem with Jewish education more broadly, uh, this includes the yeshiva world, this includes modern Orthodox day schools, this includes summer camps. It's like the one thing that appears to be 
from, from my perspective, like blatantly um, missing mm-hmm. from the educational um, curriculum is what's the mission of the Jews in history. Uh-huh. Meaning like everybody- What's your why? Right. No, no, no. Everywhere in the business world, in the self-help okay. coaching, everybody wants to know what's your why. The Jews figure we knew the why already. It's we're all about the how. Uh-huh. Right. <laughs> so, so, so meaning you can show me um, brilliant- um, not just students, I'd even say Rabbanim, sure. who can you know give a two-hour shear on how to make tea on Shabbat. Or what and to, even make it interesting. Right. And, and what to do if your dairy spoon falls into a meat soup. And convince right. you to care. Right. But, and, and those things are important. That I, I, was, I, well, okay, I was being a little cynical, but right. not really cynical. Yeah, yeah but, no, meaning those things they are matter. important, but they're important within the context of Israel's historic mission. And You're I saying, think that's ooh, missing. Careful. I just want to like push back yeah. on that a little okay. bit. Um, service through mitzvot, through commandments, yeah. is in service of mission and are not uh, of uh, value unto themselves? I, I would define the halachot the way I experience them. The way I experience mitzvot, halachot, um, especially in the land of Israel, is the uh, finite details through which I express my nishma. Meaning, this is my nature. My the nature of my soul is expressed through living this way. Like we're we're having this conversation. I don't know when this is going to air, but we're having the conversation uh, uh, potentially end of the week. Okay, so we're ahead of Parshat B'Shalach, mm-hmm. right? And and one of the things time that, to split, right? So we we leave Egypt prematurely, like according to the prophetic amount of time we're supposed to be there, or a few years early, right? <laughs> More than a few years, and we the. One of the ideas presented that uh, I connect to is that had we actually been fully baked, had we spent four centuries in Egypt, we would have not needed to receive the Torah, which predates creation, in the form of legislation. Meaning the reason the Torah had to shine into our world as a rule book to externally coerce our behavior or ostensibly us externally coarser behavior is because we were not able to live it as our nature the way our ancestors did. Like, Avraham mm. lived Torah. It was just his nature. And mm. leaving Egypt, we needed to receive it as a rule book because we were just not on the level to live it naturally. And so I would say the, the Torah is telling me, the, the Torah in rule book form is telling me how to live my nature correctly. Uh, beautiful. It's a beautiful thought. I want to reel it back in. Okay. So, so um, what you're saying is that Jewish heroism is all about the mission. Yeah, and, and, and the question of, of mission, I mean, it goes together. I mean, heroes always on a quest. Mm-hmm. Right? There's got to be some, dare I say, holy grail for which we are striving. I had to borrow a little cross-cultural context there. Um, you did it again. Which one? Cross-cultural. Oh, whoa. Yeah, well, that one was not even intentional. <laughs> so, so what's the mission? If you're going to tell me Jewish heroism, I want to make sure I understand. Right. That if heroism in general is this sort of one-two of seeing the barrier and choosing to push through it, mm-hmm. I think the chosen piece there, we didn't emphasize enough in your definition. It stands out for me. What makes Israel unique? No, what makes heroism. Okay. Meaning beyond the sense of like, oh, I'm a decent person because I was taught to help the old lady across the street with the bags or mm-hmm. to give a certain portion of my income to tzedakah or whatever. Right. Like, which are considered good things in the society which are, you're existing. And you're just doing the right thing because it's the right thing. The, the level of challenge and therefore choice mm-hmm. of bringing to bear what I would call ultimate will mm-hmm. might just be the defining threshold between being a decent person and being a hero. Because I'm afraid of the banality of mm-hmm. heroism. There's a reason you know, there's a quote that gets attributed to Napoleon. I'm not so sure if he said it, but it says, he says that quantity has a quality all its own. 
right? That, that when you reach a certain scale of action, mm-hmm. then the nature of what you're doing changes. So, so, so heroism, I think, operates on a certain scale. And I think that scale relates to the mission. Because mm-hmm. if you tell me that Jewish heroism is somehow the engagement of self overcoming of barriers in service of missions, then I want to know. What's the mission? What's the why, man? Want to translate for our people? Sure, to fix the world through the kingdom of Shaddai. Through? Through Machut Israel. That's interesting. You read the B as through. Tell me more. Ah, um, I, I would say that we're meant to fix the world, to be partners in creation. Sure. Bring the world to its ultimate goal, bring mm. history to its goal. And the way we have to do this, at least the way we've had to do this since the Tower of Babel, when humanity was fragmented into nations, is within our own national framework as the nation of Israel, a Hebrew nation. There were Hebrews before Avram, meaning yep. there, there, were, there was Ever. Ibrahim. Right. By the way, you, you got to listen to the Heroism Project because the third path of heroism is the Ivri. Okay. I think you might find it interesting. I even quote you. Okay. I, I'm happy to listen to it. I, and you're I, happy to be quoted. Right. <laughs> so I'm more likely to listen to it. But I would say that the Ivrim were focused, the, the Hebrews were focused on bringing humanity to the awareness of Yud Kevavke as this like timeless ultimate reality that we're all part of, not just to know him, but to know ourselves and to know each other. And to right, live not in- know that God is one, but to know oneness right. in, in God. Right. And, and um, once all these identities were solidified as nations, as national identities with hard boundaries between them, suddenly there became a need for a Hebrew nation. And, sure. and But it's interesting because Avraham is told that he's going to be a great nation and that all the families of the earth will be blessed by him. Right. And so, so meaning that I think part of our mission is to remove those hard barriers between humans and to mm-hmm. get rid of nationalism, meaning Jewish nationalism actually has a mission of... To grow through itself. Yeah. And, um, and, and so we've, we have to have a national formation. We have to have a territory. We have to have a... Uh, type of society here there that is no acorn there can be no oak tree right so that's that that the mission is basically to create the civilization that will bring humanity to the that will manifest the divine ideal in every sphere of of human behavior on the national level like sanitation transportation education war you name it um, and uh, and also through our story, through the historic adventure of Israel, like Yeshua says, Amzu that humanity will see just from the story of Israel, from the story of the Jewish I people. I created this people to tell my praise. Right, to sing my praise. Sing but, it's my a, praise. But, but I don't think it's we're supposed good. to literally sing or, or even tell verbally. I think it's just our existence, our story, sure. our, our adventure through history that brings humanity to the awareness that there's actually an author. So, so then Jewish heroism... Is, is by the way, what I might call gvura or hitka brut. We didn't use the word, but that that sense of of self awareness and the overcoming is deeply associated with with gvura and hitka brut. Um, so Jewish heroism becomes that that ability to to push through the barrier in service of the national project, mm-hmm. which, which is ultimately which is universal. Ul- which is ultimately to bring the world to a sense of not just awareness, but lived consciousness mm-hmm. of, of, of our oneness. Right, which will actually achieve a, a goal where humanity as a collective and, of course, every individual within is really experiencing full fulfillment in this world. 
So it's beautiful. I'm on. I'm on board. I think that it's not surprising to me that, that we we agree on that right. subject. But I think you said it very well, and I appreciate it. Um, I want to just slightly change angle. Um, you're probably familiar with the fact that heroism is a uh, a universal human concept. It's one mm. of the reasons I'm fascinated by the tension of mm. heroism, Jewish heroism. Uh, if you're familiar with the works of uh, Joseph Campbell, I don't know the great scholar of of myth. Right? He had a theory that he called the monomyth. He was a researcher in in um, world cultures and world mythologies and and legend, etc. And he extracted from a vast, vast collection of material what he felt to be the one story all humanity is telling about heroism. Okay, right? It's a conversation for another time. Oh, really? You, You're not going to tell me what the story is? I mean, it's got 17 parts to it, and you know much of it. And What's like, the name of the story? I mean, the monomyth. It's called the, the oh. hero. The, I mean, he, the, his book uh -huh. is is called the the hero of a with a thousand faces. Uh -huh. uh, that's, I mean, he wrote many things, but that's the that's the one that changed Hollywood. By the way, if you want to just know as a point of reference, George Lucas attributes the original Star Wars trilogy uh -huh. to his experience of Campbell's articulation of of the heroic journey. At this point, no screenwriter in Hollywood worth their salt is unfamiliar uh -huh. with this mythic uh, approach because it's a story that just sells. Why? That's its own question, wow. you know. And, and it's based in Jungian mm -hmm. psychology mm -hmm. and this idea that we have a collective unconscious, and therefore that there are human archetypes yeah. that that precede the type of individuation mm -hmm. that we experience. By the way, if you hear the parallel, what you said, you you went straight for it. You pointed out that there was a collective human consciousness which mm -hmm. fragmented at a certain point in our mythic history, mm -hmm. right? And that the task given to the Bnei Ever, the Ivrim, the the children of the Hebrews is to basically dance at two weddings, to go deep, deep, deep into the particular piece we were given. But since that particular piece is ultimately the memory, not just memory, but active engagement of the ongoing oneness, despite our divisions, right? So, so we tap that collective unconscious that all humanity has, but we've been given special responsibility for cultivating and maintaining to tune people back into each other. Mm -hmm. Which right, so, requires us to be a nation. Which requires us to be a nation at least for now, yeah. who knows what shall be, let it be soon, let it be now, whatever it's going to be. Um, so, why do I mention it? First of all, because it's important to know. Mm -hmm. Second of all, because there is a piece that many people are familiar with, and that's the heroic call. And this is where, again, my questions of the, the banality of goodness as opposed to heroic strides in creation, I think, really comes to play. Is that there's a sense that if you set off on a hero's journey, it's in response to a call. Mm. And it might be what you characterize as that moment where you realize what should have been done. Or if it's not post facto, what could be done. You're up against the limitations in your own life, in your national life, on a cosmic scale. And you say, whoa, that's a big barrier. I'm just going to sit here and be a decent person. But from the other side of the wall, you hear, Judah, mm. you got more to do. So my question to you is, is looking around in your own life, mm. you can be personal, or in the world today for Claudius Hill, I'd like to hear both. What's the heroic call that uh, you think is being made today? Well, I'll, I'll make it personal. Okay. Um, probably better radio. And, and uh, more honest. Right. And I've also, I, I think I, I could say honestly that I've seen myself as both a hero and a villain at different points and sometimes even at the same points, depending on your perspective of mm -hmm. my life. Um, I would say for me, when the second Intifada broke out, yeah. I was a university student in the United States, uh -huh. and I dropped out of school, mm -hmm. and I moved here to join the army. 
Uh, and part of that, I think that is what you're describing, th- this idea of there is a call. I'm doing something. Right. But there's a call. And no, something which is worthwhile, which makes sense mm-hmm. as part of the society that you've come from, which I'm sure many people around you were affirming, saying, yes, this is a good choice. It opens options, et cetera. Yeah. Okay, maybe less. That last one, maybe less. Um, but I come from a more suburban society than you do. Right. No, I, I, pe- people thought, uh, the, the funny thing is people um, thought I went crazy. And went to university? I'm not talking about, oh. no, I'm saying you were doing something before you heard the call. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was affirmed by everyone around yeah, you. Yeah, that, that's what you're supposed to do in the United States. That's what I was saying. Of right. course people thought you went right. crazy when you heard the call. Yeah. That's what the call is. So tell me, what happened? What was that call? What did it say? Did it have a voice? Were there words? Was it specific? Well, well it was clear that um, Jews my age in Israel were expected to risk their lives for the future of our people, for the territorial integrity of our land, um, for our security. And I just felt like, you know, I, I was separate from all that. Mm. And I didn't want to be separate from all that. I wanted to be part of that. And I felt the right thing for me to do, the correct thing for me to do, is to the good thing for me to do is to leave what I was doing and come here to be part of the story playing out. So the call said, don't stand to the side. Essentially. Said, be part of this. Or you could say it more positive, mm. come yeah. and be part. Right. How's that call treated you? Um, it's been quite an adventure. I mean, I think that the last, uh, we're, you know, I've been here 22 years now. And and change, and um, I think that I have certain core values and core beliefs that have not changed at all mm-hmm. in the last couple of decades, and there are a lot of things that have changed for me. I I try to be um, uh, ideologically dynamic in the, in that I can I, I allow even though I have my core principles. That's how and, I think of you. Well, well I, I, I mean, meaning. I, I my my feet are standing in the same place. My goal is is probably a more fleshed out version uh, of the goal I came here with, but there are things that have definitely changed in my worldview in terms of who the enemy is, what war we're fighting, what my place is in that sure. war, and a lot Not of that growth just, is its own form of Messiah. Well, I think it's important because I, I I have a lot of friends who are like me and have been on this journey and have allowed themselves to grow when they encounter new information and things that challenge what they previously believed. And I have a lot of friends who can't do that and won't do that and will still and, and still have the exact politics they had 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. And maybe I, they hear a different call. Yeah, it could be they hear a different call, or or it could be they're they're just built differently and and have a different. So pause for a second, because now I hear uh, uh, there's a more than one call. The first was, as I put it, don't stand to the side. Mm-hmm. Although I think it's important to phrase it in the positive, right? Mm-hmm. Like come join. Mm-hmm. What you're pointing out is that the heroic journey can be a short journey. Mm-hmm. You get a call, you make a move, you do your thing, and and you settle back into right. a new normalcy. Because it is normal mm-hmm. on the world we live in here now to go to the army and finish your task and get married and have right. kids and maybe you go to reserves, maybe you don't, you know. Right. But then what I heard you say is that you have tried I'm to maintain. I'm still on it. Well, I was going to say, right. you said it's been, a, it's been an adventure, which yeah. is very important. Still is. A quest is right. an ongoing piece. But the, I want to I focus on what you said is you've maintained uh, a ideological dynamism, mm-hmm. right? Simple way to say it is that there's a call to grow. Mm-hmm. Right. There's another. There's a different call, which is as opposed to don't stand aside, join in. It's it's um it's don't stop growing. 
Yeah. And it's not just political. No. No, meaning we we also grow as husbands. We grow as fathers. You know, I mean, we we grow as teachers. Husbands and fathers, teachers, very important heroic models. Right. Uh, And we we also, in addition to that, or at least I have found myself growing politically and ideologically and my understanding of the world has shifted a little bit and maybe even grown a little bit. My explanations for things happening in the world might be different than they were 20 years ago. I hope so. My understanding of who the enemy is and why they're fighting me uh, might be different than they were 20 years ago. Let's let's, let's push on that one a little bit because I know from our relationship, some Mm -hmm. of the conversations we've had and from the work that you do, um, that you have a very strong sense of the centrality of identity Mm -hmm. to both the conflict which we find ourselves in as a people, to our own internal calls for growth, um, and I believe also for the redemptive potential that you see on the horizon. Um, what do you see to be a heroic posture in relationship to identity? I apologize, but I, admit, I have to admit I don't fully understand the question. That's fine. I'll rephrase. If, if we're going to um, define heroism uh-huh. as coming up against a limitation mm-hmm. and then making a conscious choice to assert will to be most serenefish, to mm-hmm. go beyond, right? to extend to something more. Well, identity has limits. Mm-hmm. They play out in all kinds of places. If heroism is a call to be more, mm-hmm. what's the heroic call you see for the identity of the Jewish people today? For the identity we call Israel or for the individual Jews' understanding of his own identity? I'm happy to hear either right. or both. Um, well, for, for the identity we call Israel, you know, for Knesset Israel, for the people of Israel, uh, I think that we need to define for ourselves uh, what I said before was lacking, even in the most Jewish, Jewish of spaces, right? Um, what <laughs> rally is the around goal? the mission, right? Like, like, what are the goals of Jewish history? If there's more than one, um, what's already been accomplished? What's left to accomplish? What's standing in the way? What can I do to be a character in the story of smashing those barriers? So basically, we need to gather around, like. Shmuel and the people at Mitzpah mm-hmm. when he did Mishpat with Amis, right? He sat down, you're familiar, I'm guessing, with yeah, the story, but people sure. may not be, right? The prophet Samuel, before the kingship really gets off the ground, mm-hmm. he sits the people down. He says, listen, this is the backstory. Mm-hmm. You did this and God walloped you. You did that and God walloped you. And he did this and God sent this one to save you. Now, here we are. Mm-hmm. Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. What are so, we creating here? What are we creating here? Yeah. Yeah. That's the real question. What are we creating here? Meaning, I- I'll tell you something you know this whole thing that's been going on in the uh, in the Hague mm-hmm. with uh, South Africa, sure, you know, the taking the us to court, genocide trial. Right. I, I one thing that occurred to me is that South Africa is attempting to be what Israel's supposed to be. In in one sense, in which sense I think I understand, but say uh, it out that you you have a nation that was oppressed, that achieved liberation, mm-hmm. and that should now see itself as responsible to fight for the liberation of all oppressed peoples. There's definitely a layer of that going yeah. on here. I, I, it's a layer. It's, it's not the full, you know, they're not going to be Mahut Israel. But I'm saying that... I, I mean, there's also cheaper layers as well, but, but, I, but yeah. I hear it. I don't, no, no, you, no, don't no, to, right. you don't need to take there, that There's part. a lot to criticize as well, but I'm... No, but, but I'm I hear saying, it yeah. in terms of a model. In, in terms of what they're trying to present themselves as, yeah. how they'd like to see themselves... Most the importantly, I, I heard you saying it's a model of how we should... Right, that, that Israel... And I think that, I, you know, I, we, I think we've probably spoken before. If, if we haven't, there are 
there's, you know, short cartoons we've made about this that I'm happy to share with you or your listeners, that anti-Semitism works in a systemic way that doesn't push us to the bottom as it does other oppressed peoples, but the system actually um, creates a situation where Jews feel our survival depends on being connected to the big oppressors. It pushes us into the role of middleman. Yeah. Which, by the way, is consistent with the mission that you described, because ultimately we're meant to be middlemen between God and creation. Well, that's true, but, and, no, but not between the United States and all the oppressed peoples of the world. But between right. power and humanity. Notice what yeah. you've just described, right, is, right, that, right. is that the tikkun, as it were, the, mm-hmm. the uh, ideal expression, mm-hmm. is the middleman, so to speak, between creator and creation as, as a mamlechet kohanim, right? a, a, a nation not of priests, but of ministers, mm-hmm. right? to minister to the people. Mm-hmm. right? But be, it's Kilkul, the corrupt version in anti-Semitism, pushes us into the middleman between power and the powerless. Right, right, exactly. By the way, where would people see those? I have seen the cartoons, but if people wanted to get them. Oh, you first of all, you go to visionmag.org and you just search anti-Semitism. We uh-huh. still have a dash in Oh, you're old school. You're old school. Uh, well, no, I, I think it, I, I find it meaningful. Okay. The dash. Although there, 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 are people, time. there are people within the movement who disagree with me. There's, there's a, a real debate. Uh, I'm not such a pedant. Movement. I just don't right. know how to spell it. So, um, first of all, there's that, and it, it it's probably harder to find on YouTube because we haven't mastered the algorithm and all that. But, oh, but who has? just anti minus Semitism search visionmag.org. Can you'll they find, just contact you directly? You can contact me directly. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Facebook. I'm Yuda Hakohen, H A K O H E N. And you can find vision at visionmovement.org or visionmag.org. That's our online magazine, visionmag.org. So, so first order yeah. call to heroism um, is to, to fill the role that you deem we've been assigned, not just by history, but by the creator, I'm assuming. It didn't well, 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 I think but... part of our liberation, because it's very similar to the Parsha again, we, we, we see something happening where Israel is materially liberated from Egypt, mm-hmm. but we're not psychologically free. Oh, no. At all. And, and you actually see something in the very beginning of the Parsha, we're taken on a roundabout route because there's a concern, a divine concern, that if we encounter war, we're going to just run the other way because yeah. we're not ready for that. We're just not ready. However, by the end of the Parsha, we're fighting wars. That's right. We're fighting Amalek. Right? Not just any old war. Right. The war. Right. So, so, so there is rapid advancement and development taking place in this Parsha. Now, Israel today has experienced material liberation and material success. Of an unprecedented scale. But our psychological liberation, not yet, meaning yeah. we need to catch up psychologically, and that's maybe some of what's happening now in the midst of this war. Can I add to that? Sure. Our moral, yeah. I think, liberation as well, because that material success mm-hmm. has come accompanied with poverty and, and injustice mm-hmm. on many realms. I'm mm-hmm. gonna point that finger at who, where, and how. Yeah. I don't think we need, we can agree on that general principle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, no, so, so I think we need to, part of our own liberation would be, and this is, again, before we even do anything actionable, I think psychologically we should be seeing ourselves or wanting to aspire to be on the side of the oppressed of the world and not the oppressors. So the first heroic call is to change our self-conception, that you see a trap, which is an expression of historic anti-Semitism that pushes us into this role of middleman between oppressor and oppressed, between power and the people, right. however, you know, and, and what we need to do is, is shift our inner sense of identity. Mm-hmm. That we as a people, that's what was my question to you, the heroic identity. But, but that's a challenge because we think of the oppressed, we experience the oppressed in most contexts as the anti-Semite who is violent. 
Meaning <laughs> wh- whether whether we're talking about the our Gentile neighbors in Eastern Europe, whether we're talking about our neighbors in North Africa at the time of the French occupation, uh, or whether we're talking about our neighbors in this region, we are we're experiencing our. And again, it's not without justification. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I don't even want to say anything, but yeah. right, yes, um, no, no. no the, it, I mean, it's sometimes a little chicken egg, but yes, we we experience ourselves as vulnerable to violent Jew haters and the actual oppressor who they're being victimized by, and to a certain extent we are too, is the protection we look for. So I'm going to put a finer point yeah. on it, because people can't see you right now, but you're sitting across me with a t-shirt that says, Take Back Gaza. We right? made these t-shirts. These are vision t-shirts. Yeah, I, I should get one from you. Um, the, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you probably agree with me that that the conquest of Gaza needs to be a war of liberation mm-hmm. for all human beings who are willing to accept it as such between the river and the sea. Meaning we're not just fighting to take back Gaza so that we can rebuild Gush Katif and have some great houses on the beach again, which I'm not opposed to. Right, also um, that. They, but because there's an oppressive situation mm-hmm. there. And, and, and however we want to do the post-game analysis of how did it happen, why did it happen, who is at fault, people are suffering. We're part of that suffering, mm-hmm. and the liberation of Gaza is the liberation of people from suffering. I There's, hope. Should, I, I'm talking about yeah, ideally. ideally. I'm not asking yeah. what it's actually right, going to right, be right. because, unfortunately, they're not calling you or I to help <laughs> make those decisions. But a fair statement because I think that also is a, a certain heroic shift in identity, and this goes back to your point about the difference between enemy and villain, mm-hmm. right? Meaning I, I think that the enemy could fairly be called on some level that which stands between, between you and mission. Mm-hmm. I think often the enemy is a villain mm-hmm. because they actively oppose. But sometimes it's not. Like, like, well, I think, I'm going right. to finish my point. They active, sometimes they actively oppose and even like profoundly, even existentially, mm-hmm. you know, Amalek you mentioned. Right. But, but sometimes the enemy is a victim of the same circumstance that called forth our heroism in, in the first place. Yes, or, or do you and want we better? could fall into the trap of labeling them as villain because it's always easier to fight the villain than it is to roll over the people in your way to do what you need to do. Yes, right. That That is correct. And uh, I don't want to get off topic with this, but I just want to kind of throw in there that, that sometimes the enemy is not just not a villain, but somebody who deeply cares about you. Like, for example, if I would say if a Jew is born in the diaspora, part of their life's mission is to make Aliyah. Mm-hmm. And often when, especially younger Jews, teenagers or young adults want to make Aliyah, um, the enemy are the parents. They're the barrier that stands right. between them and their mission. Right. And and they're not doing it because they're, they're not villains. villains. Right. Exactly. So yeah. so we have to understand. And, and you know, Yair Stern, uh, Avram Stern, uh, made this distinction between the British who and the- Who was? The, he, he launched our uh, fight for freedom against British rule in this country. And uh, that's important. You're right. Not everybody knows. Um, a hero. A hero. Uh, a hero of Jewish history, clearly. Mamish. And um, he made this distinction at the beginning of World War II between the British and the Germans. He said the Germans hate us. They, they want to hurt us. This is before the Wannsee Conference. There wasn't yet any knowledge of systemic, systemized sure. genocide. But the British are the enemy because they're the ones who are standing in the way of our mission. They're the ones preventing us from being free in our land. They're the ones preventing Jews from coming home. And, and if we can overcome that barrier, that enemy, then we can actually be a player in World War II and not just like a soccer Object ball being kicked around. Or, of, yeah. of violence. Yeah, it, it's a challenging piece, mm-hmm. but I think it's important to, to recognize that you put a very important term into play here, which is that heroism involves profound taking of agency. Mm-hmm. 
and and in order to take agency, one of the things that Yair and the, and the Lehi movement, the you know the Fighters for the Freedom of Israel movement that that he founded, as you said, which launched the struggle for national liberation, one of their sources of real power was the ability to identify who the true barrier to liberation was. Mm. Right? Because remember, you know, force becomes power when it's applied across a surface area. Not to talk too much physics, but right, if 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 I push on you with my whole hand as hard as I can in the middle of your chest. I might knock you over, but it's not going to hurt. If I take one finger mm-hmm. and drill it into your chest with all the same force, that's going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's it's force applied over a smaller area, which gives you real power. right? And, and so that's where agency becomes such a crucial element of heroism. You got to know not just that you want to change or that you have the ability to act, but where to apply that will. Right. And and I think that one becomes better at doing that when they have very limited resources. Yes, perforce. Right. I think you're correct. Yeah. And, and you know and, the old saying that, that, you know, hard times make strong men, right? Strong men make easy times. Easy times make me- weak men. Mm-hmm. Weak men make hard times. Yeah, I've seen that. Right. The, yeah. That's what you're describing. Right. No, no. I mean, when, when, you think about the, when, you, when you think about the organized Jewish community, both today and in Yair's time, um, you have an organized Jewish community, let's say in the United States today, that is uh, that has high budgets to do relative to Jewish history, boundless resources, right? And and to solve the problems of the Jewish people as they exist, whether they're educational problems, identity problems, security problems, whatever they are, but they're unable to identify really what right. those problems are, right? And then comes along a guy like me, right? <laughs> And because I come with very limited resources, I haven't yet figured out how to raise money effectively. By the way, if people wanted to give money to these types of thoughts, how would they do it? They would go to uh, either visionmovement.org or visionmag.org and click donate. But we also have a Patreon uh, now, patreon.com slash visionmovement, where you can also get a lot of uh, content that we keep behind the paywall. I want to give a double thumbs up endorsement that you're not going to find this kind of thought other places. You may not agree with everything you hear, but I promise me, you will not have heard it anywhere else. I, I like that endorsement. That's a good endorsement. Thank you. Uh, but but basically, because we've been functioning with limited resources all this time, we've had to make every cent count. Mm. And therefore, we've really tried to scientifically identify exactly what the issues are, whether we're talking about Jewish identity education, whether we're talking about the conflict with the Palestinians, whether we're talking about what Israel needs to move forward as a society towards the final redemption and um and and also uh that that was basically Yair's position yes. meaning the lehi had very limited resources very limited manpower the smallest of the militias of the pre-state as they teach in history class i want right. because we have precious yeah. time left i want to pivot back on the hinge of this vision mm-hmm. comment you just made to your opening statement mm-hmm. you made a, a very important as in my eyes as a student of history a very important question you posed is that we've been knocked out mm-hmm. of our zone since Simchat Torah, and we're all still reeling. Mm-hmm. The question is, did we get knocked back to Israel in the 50s and 60s, or is it possible we just got kicked forward into the new uh, era mm-hmm. of Jewish statehood? Which, which in some, on of, some level might resemble the 50s uh, and 60s. In the Bayah, but I, I want to know what right. you think. What's your vision of how that's going to play out? I, I think it's a kick forward. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's a kick forward. What would be the signs? Um, well, We've been through a a lot since the 50s and 60s. Um, (laughs) I I think one of the things that's been weakened by what happened on Simchat Torah and and the war that's ensued since is 
the grip of westernization on Israeli society and the automization of people, the individualism, the the kind of like uh, belief in an American dream, even if it's in Hebrew in here. It was a big part of the struggle which preceded the war yes. also. Yeah, in, we, we were fighting over Yom Kippur in Tel Aviv. Yes. Like meaning this peak, there was a, an internal battle in Israeli society over that, the identity of this that country. peaked literally a, less than a week before this. Right. Well, no, sorry, a little bit more than a week. Yeah, but, but on Yom Kippur, yeah. there were literal fights over outdoor minyanim. It wasn't about a mechitza. They claimed no. mechitza. No, but it that was, was about just... Jews praying in the middle of Tel Aviv. Right, like we didn't want, like not we. we not here. Right. And so, um, and, and so that's not where we're at now. Uh, we've, we've remembered, we've been reminded. Mm. I think that maybe that's maybe... A better, uh, right. we, more sharp. We've mm-hmm. been reminded by, um, by Hamas, and not just Hamas, by Hezbollah and by the Houthis and by Iran. I'm going to go further and say we've been reminded by God because, mm. you know, our enemies are always a ready stick mm. in the annals of history to recall to us our essential mm. nature. So we, we know, I, th- I think there's a renewal of uh, collectivist mentality, a concept that uh, our security won't be achieved by military technological superiority and alliances with the United States, but rather through our own ferocity mm-hmm. and our own willingness to sacrifice for the greater good. Determination. Yeah. Um, there, there's an idea that we're all in this together. And that uh, that's huge. And you see that throughout society. Um, I do, um, and this is something we might disagree on, I actually do, um, I, I, I know that the cynics will, will bash me for this, but I believe Prime Minister Netanyahu when he says that the Americans are going to try to force a two-state solution on us imminently, if Gantz becomes prime minister, he is going to... Well, that I don't doubt in the least. <laughs> right. Like, 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 I think there's a bigger game going on. I, I actually, uh, I've been suspicious. I, I've suspected for a couple of years now that Netanyahu has been working very quietly. And of course, he would have to. And I've never voted for the man. I don't work for the Likud party. I've never had... This is not good, an official election Not, not at all. I, and I might not vote for him next time, but, I'm, but I do, I, I have been... We might con- not have another election, so it's okay. <laughs> I, I have been convinced that he has been very quietly and very carefully trying to make Israel an independent country that's not, in, that, that's not under America's thumb in order to protect the land of Israel and the future of our people. So I want to just bring it to one statement. Which is extremely heroic, by the way. I don't (laughs) deny it. Uh, I just, uh, I would love to have this conversation further, but I'm also conscious of of time. Uh, Just give me a statement of what what would it look like Mm. to step with heroic strides into that future, not back toward what Mm. was, but uh, forwards into what could be. Well, I think it's similar to the mentality that existed here in the 50s and 60s that we're in this together that we can only really rely upon ourselves and one another that but coupled with a deeper awareness of who we are what is our identity what is this really all about what are we going to do for the rest of humanity once we feel safe because the problem hebrew vision of service of creation and the unification of humanity the, the the barrier if we're talking about barriers that need to be smashed, the barrier that prevents us from getting there is that we don't feel safe. Mm. Is, is that we really don't feel safe? And it's not, it, and not an absurd feeling. No, 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 no. It, it's uh, but, but I, I would, I would, it, definitely not. There are reasons we don't feel safe. I, I think to a certain extent we still don't know our own strength. I think we're that's stronger than one we of think the we are. We don't feel safe. Yes, right? I, I think that's also part of how anti-Semitism functions. We're always perceived from the outside as stronger than we are and feel internally weaker than we are. Uh, well said. Yeah, I, I, but I think we need to overcome that. We need yes. to know our own strength. 
But I think the challenge for us now, we've had so much experience being weak and righteous, so much experience, or, or I don't want to say so much, but we've had a, a, a quite a bit of experience recently being powerful and unjust. And I or think at least now, being concerned with justice. Yeah. Okay. That's a better way of putting it. I, I think that's more accurate, uh, but it definitely looks unjust from the outside. Okay. Um, we need to strive to be strong, to be powerful, to be invincible and just. And I think if we could achieve that, we would have the support and the um, and, and the admiration of even our greatest critics today, including the Islamic world and including the communist world, the Marxist world. So I don't think that we could really do better than to end yeah. on that note of a powerful, just vision. And Rav Yudakon, friend and educational director of the Vision Movement. Uh, you already told people how they can reach you, so I'm not going to go back over that. If you want to reach me, I'm Rav Mike Four. You can find me on Gmail, Facebook. I've actually opened an Instagram account, Jewish Heroism Project. You can check it out, even though it's still in its infancy. Uh, and I want to thank all the folks who give their hard-earned money to make this happen. You can go to the jewishheroism.com site. You see the videos there. There's supplementary videos, source sheets for the core classes. You also see a button in the upper right-hand corner. It says donate. You can now give tax-free donations in the great states of the United, in the United States tax-free donation. Be in touch with me if you want to have any details on how to make that happen. Thanking everybody out there, and I want to thank you for listening. I'm Ralph Mike Foyer, and this is the Jewish Heroism Project.